It's web-based. It's all online. Multiple engineers can be in the same file. It's not a file, but in the same file, they can be working on the same room at the same time. They can literally work on the same product back and forth. It's kind of fun. You can move something right before someone tries to click on it and they can have a lot of fun. So it's just like, you know, collaborating in a Word document base. If you've ever been in a OneDrive Word document or an Excel file or something, and you can see what the other person's doing at the same time, that type of dynamic. Yep. And then on top of that, we're bringing, you know, some clever workflows and such to, to how it works. It's all aimed around making it fast, though. Welcome to Verify in Fields, the Millwork Podcast. Your host, Jacob Edmond, CEO of Duckworks, will be interviewing experts in the industry to bring you insights and knowledge about the latest trends, techniques, and challenges in millwork. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the world of millwork. Here's Jacob. So shifting gears a little bit, but everything we've talked about is kind of like current state of the industry, everything, right? So shifting into energy design. Yes. Energy has um, a new product, you would call it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is, uh, I think, in beta right now, or beta testing with certain specific clients, energy design? Or is it? Yeah, so we're not beta testing. We're kind okay. of a different company. We're okay. a bit of a different creature. All right, we don't develop a product without a customer. So but for it's us, not, not generally available yet, right? It is not generally available. We've got 30 companies who've signed on as early adopters. So these are people who are kind of forward-looking. They see the advantage of being the first to use a new technology, and they're paying good money for a product that doesn't do anything yet, and they're helping us develop it. So every week, every day, they get our changes, and then every week we meet a couple of times to talk about are we going the right way, what would be better, is this good, is that wrong, that kind of thing. So... This is a new entry into a market that has existing players. Which, okay, right. Um, and and just to start with, energy design. What's what is it, and what problems does it aim to solve with the industry today? I guess is a starting yeah. point. I, I really like how you phrase that. So at the beginning of each and every EA meeting, and with our development team and our internal teams. We always go over the why. What? Why is why is energy design? What's it for? Because I don't want us to forget. It's easy to forget the why when you get lost in the weeds, right? And so the, the core problem that we're aiming to solve is that engineering takes too long. And we're not aiming to solve it just with software. Right. So we use software, but we also use consulting and benchmarks and education and a lot of other things, some services, to try and help our customers get more throughput. So I do a couple of talks that are aimed at how to apply lean and one-piece flow thinking to engineering. And part of that is breaking up the work into small chunks, right? The current software solutions never supported that. And that was where I ran into problems running my own department. So I'll give you an example. Uh, at that AutoCAD shop, um, if, so if I give a drafter a million-dollar project, it's going to take them 20 to 30 weeks before I get a set of shop drawings. Right now, if I give that same project to 10 drafters, I can have it next week, mm-hmm. but I introduce all these problems, right? My engineering software doesn't support it. They can't work in the same files at the same time. So we, we created all these flaming hoops we would jump through to try and make it work. We're going to put everything in a different file and then use a sheet set manager to try and put it back together. And, it's a, and then you have different people drawing things different ways. So design exists because we're trying to solve those problems to bring those ways of doing engineering into existence, right? 
So it, it, I jokingly say multiplayer. It's web-based. It's all online. But multiple engineers can be in the same file. It's not a file, but in the same file. Uh, they can be working on the same room at the same time. They can literally work on the same product back and forth. It's kind of fun. You can move something right before someone tries to click on it, and uh, you can have a lot of fun that way. So it's just like you know, collaborating in a Word document, basically. Not just like, but, if, but three, for, for people to have some context that aren't software savvy, right? If you've ever been in a OneDrive Word document or an Excel file or something, and you can see what the other person is doing at the same time, that type of dynamic. Yep. And then on top of that, we're bringing, you know, some clever workflows and such to, to how it works. It's all aimed around making it fast, though. So, you know, to, to go through this exercise, I actually made our engineering, our, our software engineering, um, travel to customers and use the real software with them so they could kind of understand the pains, right? And bring that back and try to solve some of those pains. But at core, the, the one thing we're going to do better than anybody is help you get a set of shop drawings put together and production engineering done faster than anybody. Okay. And so I also want to frame this because I think a lot of people are probably looking at this through the lens of what exists today, right? And they're thinking, you know, because everything on the market today is kind of trying to solve this problem the same way, essentially, right? Okay, we have a CAD-based software to do shop drawings, and then we have some CAM-based functionality that can do production, right? And we create a library that has logic in it um, that draws in the existing CAD-based tools, right? Like, we're, it's basically the industry has kind of adapted to what exists today and tried to put what we need into that. Um, and we've also limited the solutions based on some assumptions that have existed before um, that, like, okay... Shop drawings have to be done this way and have to spit out this way. And so are there some assumptions that you guys have had to, not had to, but you guys have basically, because essentially you're looking at clean slate to some extent, right? Hey, look, here's here's the real problem statement. It's not how do we create a new thing that is like basically recreate what already exists. How do we reinvent the wheel sort of? Um, and it's how do we truly solve the problem without having the same assumptions that exist on the market today? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I like to say we're challenging the status quo okay. by coming up with innovative ways to do things. And so at Energy, that's what we do. We've, we've got innovative ways to address a lot of the problems that exist in millwork to address whether it's residential, commercial, even some other things. Um, things this software has to be able to do to be successful. We have to help you draw the right thing, which means the right scope and in the right order. We have to help you draw the thing right, which means technical drafting, construction standards, having some clever tools. And we have to do it fast. And it's easy to trade off any one of those two for the other. Mm -hmm. And all of the existing solutions have made a trade off in a direction that I don't like, which is against the fast. Now we're bringing new technologies. We're clean slate. That's true. We have a whole new set of tech that nobody's ever had before. We're bringing some artificial intelligence and some other really cool stuff. But at core, we have to do those three things right. And I always show them as a Venn diagram. And there is a spot in the middle where they overlap. That's the sweet, sweet center that we're trying to hit. Okay. So there, I assume with all of this, there's kind of a long-term in a short term, right? And obviously short term is is you're shipping a product to a specific subset of customers that are helping you build the product, right? Yes, right. Um, 
And within that, it those customers are existing users of energy, right? And that's kind of an assumption in all this, I, I think, right? Is anybody who uses energy design is already going to be an energy ERP user, right? Absolutely, yep. Um, okay. So we're already from there kind of narrowing um, and saying, okay, like there's there are some assumptions that are unique to this in that, hey, you're going to be a un- energy user. So you're already working in our system that's benefiting and running your business in a way that um, energy believes makes your business as efficient as possible, right? So there's some things that probably make you as a company already different than the market as as, as a whole or the industry as a whole, right? right? Um, then within that though, uh, today where energy sits or where design sits today versus where it needs to be, you know, Hey, this is where we're trying to get, we're going to rock the the world of the industry and change things forever. Um, what are the things that are not there yet? So uh, the things I, I, I think of are like, okay, obviously how do I transition or how do I make a user base that uses design? that is able to think like design, right? You're, you're basically cross-training users to think differently. And a lot of them are going to be existing CAD, CAM users, right? That are probably going to have preconceptions or like, oh, I know how to do this in CAD. How do I do that in design, for example? Um, yeah. And how, or is that how you're attacking it? It's like, hey, let's take existing, your existing drafters and make them design users, I guess is the first question. Is that yeah, the best so- way to do it? You hit the you hit it right on the nose. Uh, it is a part of our energy offering. It's not going to be offered separately, and it does integrate in very clever and awesome ways to help bring the whole business together. Right, looks like the rest of our tools do. Um, we do want to meet the users a little bit where they are. So I'll give you an example: is we have an AutoCAD compatible command line okay. because people have muscle memory for those yeah. things. Right, we were for every way there is to do something, we're taking kind of all of the ways from the existing software. So when you want to override a dimension, you can use the AutoCAD way to do it, or you can actually use the cabinet vision way to do it too, because we want to meet the users where they are. That's thing one. Education is half of what energy does in general. Our value prop is not software. It's half software, half the remaining education. And that's true for design as well. So a, a couple of things. We have education built right into the software. You can click a button and there are uh, right now, they're not that much specifically about design, but there will be. But there are thousands and thousands of hours of video content in our learning management system. And we will have that as well. We're actually going to plan regional events where we come around and have free training. Our our model is different than the existing engineering companies, and so it leads to different behavior. Uh, they get a big upfront payment from you and then small maintenance amounts each year. Uh, we don't get that big upfront. Our users pay by the month, and they can quit by the month. So we end up having the free support, all-you-can-eat buffet of support and implementation. Uh, we're going to have the training in. We're building in things like um, kind of like a wiki built into it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So my background, I ran engineering departments. I say this all the time in talks. Every rule has its exception, but you need to just assume the rule is you'll never be able to hire an engineer. You have to be able to make them. That is the only way to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so I was really good at that. Uh, I could take somebody with no drafting, no millwork experience, no uh, just a good good set of a good mind, and I could have them productive doing custom architectural stuff in about three or four months. And we're building all that into the software. So this will end up being the easiest to learn software anybody's ever used. Uh, 
if you've got experience with any existing engineering software, you'll be proficient at it in like a week. Right. Uh, if you start from scratch, we'll have tons and tons of education available for you in person, live, virtual, and also recorded. Okay. So let's talk about some of the things that, because some of our listeners are not engineers themselves, maybe business owners, project executives, you know, different, different types of things. So uh, let's touch on some of the things that are pain points for all the existing players in this this realm that design solves from day one. Obviously, it's cloud native from the start um, yes. and collaborative from the start, right? And so that is, in my opinion, and, and I deal with this every day, that we we work with over 100 clients where we're taking data back and forth, where we're doing drawings on projects that they're actively engineering on and vice versa, right? And so each software solves that a little bit differently, but none of them are cloud native, um, no. None of the existing players, you know, so um, whether it's Microvelm, CabDivision, IX, um, uh, any of the, the main kind of things out there, 2020, uh, I don't know who else I'm missing. Yeah, so the, the pain that you're talking about, uh, I went through for sure. I used mm-hmm. to outsource $1 to $2 million worth of drafting every year, mm-hmm. and I got good at it. It's not a skill that most mill workshops are good at you know this more than anybody right mill workers are not good at outsourcing shop drawing no so some of those pains are if i want you to draw in my engineering software somehow i have to get you my database and those databases can be very large and unwieldy and hard Mm -hmm. to move around or we have to jump through some hoop where i set up a remote desktop for you to remote desktop into but then as an outsourcer you have 19 ways to interface with you know with 15 different customers And so those are painful. Um, There's another pain involved in, I send my drawings out to an outsourcer and they do a pretty good job and I get it back. I'm like, it's pretty close. I'm just going to have somebody here kind of touch the drawings up and we're going to send them off. Mm -hmm. And I never send you the file back. And now there's two sets of files. And Mm -hmm. then I ask for some red lines later on. And I'm like, why did you not incorporate all these other things? And you're like, you never showed me those things. That pain exists. And there's this pain of a feedback cycle, right? Where, I send my drawings off to an outsourced provider. Uh, the next day, due, sometimes due to time differences or just schedule, I get a list of questions. I only half answer them because that's what I do as a mill worker. And then you have more questions and we're back and we're forth. And then finally, I get a set of drawings that's, you know, 100 pages or something. And I'm like, all of this is wrong. Or I go, hey, these are pretty good, but can we change the countertop thickness? And you're like, oh, we got to now change every single page. The answer is to many of those problems, not the technical one. But the answers to many of them are one piece flow, right? Mm-hmm. Quick review, faster feedback cycle. So a couple of things we do. We're web-based. If I hire your company to come do drafting, I just give you a login to my account. You log in. You start using my energy. But again, this means I can have remote workers. I can have my own workers work from home. Anywhere they're at, they can access and work. No problem. I don't have to somehow get the database to them. Same for an outsource provider. You come in. You start drawing. I can literally watch what you're doing. I can come in and I can say, oh, that's not how we draw that, right? While you're doing it. So the feedback cycle is awesome. And we have an audit trail so that if I start messing with what you did, then fine. But if you get pretty close and I decide to go into production, I can change it. And and you're always working from the newest copy. Uh, we do have a daily digest that will show you the changes made to the drawing each day. And the idea is maybe I don't really want to go watch you, but 
I can see the changes in real time and review them early when it's cheaper and easier to change. Mm -hmm. Now, not just for outsourced. These are actually aimed at kind of the internal processes because imagine your project manager can come in and watch what's happening or your engineering manager can check on what his people are doing in real time or the owner of the company, instead of it being a black box, they can come in and actually understand what is happening on this project, right? So the tools end up being good for the mill worker primarily, but also since you brought it up, you know, the outsourced drafting also. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so we solve some of those problems using that. The technical thing, obviously, we don't have to change files back and forth because it's all just in the web. We'll be back after a quick break. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Okay, so <clears throat> shop drawings, you know, basically solves a lot of existing pain points that just are inherent and kind of, I think people have just gotten used to in this industry. I mean, even, even using AutoCAD by itself, yes, AutoCAD itself has cloud solutions, but hardly anybody uses them. And it's not right. something that everybody in your organization has access to the same way either. Um, and so, like you mentioned, even just remote employees, Generally, most people are still storing DWGs on a server somewhere, or maybe they're in a, a cloud storage, but then you've got versioning issues and stuff. And a lot of that right. is, is more natively built into design. Um, so uh, assume, okay, so design allows you to work in energy. Uh, I assume it integrates to some extent with energy as a whole in that, hey, if I'm drawing in a room, that room is a room from a cost standpoint, from a planning scheduling standpoint, as yep. well as um, like I can put materials, parts, products if I want. I assume there's a there's probably some flexibility in that or separation between like, hey, if a drafter is not just going in and changing the cost of the job directly or or there's some permission there, I assume. Like, can you talk a little bit about how how design integrates or how the vision is for it to integrate with, you know, the ERP side of things. Yeah, sure. So we have a takeoff, an on-screen takeoff tool that mm -hmm. our customers use to estimate their work. And already we can export from that a microvellum Excel, uh, XML file. We can export a cabinet vision, uh, CBJ or uh, whatever their file format is. I can't remember anymore now. Uh, where you could either start with all your locations predefined. We can also do the walls laid out for you, and we can do even some products on walls. All right. Now it's not very convenient. You got to jump through some some terrible steps to make it happen, but we can. And of course, we could do that same trick with our own engineering software. Our biggest question is: Should we? So I say this all the time: uh, estimating is not exacting. And I say that to people who try to take the wrong approach to estimating. You take an engineer and you ask them to estimate something and they're counting up staples, mm -hmm. right? But engineering is exacting. And the more you try to use the one set of data for the other, you start to move that exactness up in time into that estimating step. 
and there's some danger there. So we're not sure how far we should take it. We have some clever ideas. We've actually put that to our group of early adopters is, mm-hmm. all right, what, how, how much should we integrate the takeoff to the engineering? Because that's everybody's dream, right? Is we don't even need engineers. We just push the button and out come the drawings. Right. And, and, and I just, I don't think that we're going to go there. We'll do what our customers ask to some extent, but there's just there's a dangerous area there. Uh, but we do tie into the rest, right? So you can imagine that as, a, as an engineer is dropping stuff in, at a certain point, they exceed the cost budget for a particular area. And we can say, hey, something's gone wrong. Like you picked something different than what the estimators assumed, or there's a miss of some kind. We can bring it to your attention. We're also building in artificial intelligence. So many of our customers have five plus years of production data in our system. We know what work orders they made money on and which were losers. What we don't know is anything about how they were engineered. Once we have both sets of information, oh man, AI is pretty good at correlation. So you can just imagine that your your drafter picks a miter-folded countertop example, and up pops Clippy, who says, by the way, did you know that every time you do a miter-folded countertop, you lose money? And, and beyond that, a lot of the value for a veteran engineer is they can remember, you know, been there, done that, where's another project with a similar detail. AI can help find that stuff too in your backlog and say, by the way, here's another four jobs where we did something kind of similar. And you can go look and see how did it go? Was that a good idea or not? You could have um, uh, that AI pop up and say, hey, every time Jonah is assigned solid service tops, purchasing ends up reordering solid service. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for real. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's yeah. the type of information we have. And we just don't know anything about how it was engineered. All we right. have are drawings. I mean, we can't read drawings electronically. So uh, once we have those, man, the, the opportunities are huge. But we have part tracking built into our system. So our customers scan their parts into it out of sorting racks and on, you know, track the product being done, et cetera, track it as a job site. So just imagine in your engineering software, you click on a part, it can tell you, hey, this has already been banded. Uh, it's already been assembled without having to switch systems. Right. And then, you know, every ERP struggles to get the data from engineering. And, and some handsome, clever fellow I know was the one who wrote the integration for energy. So... He had a background in engineering software. So I think it's probably as convenient as it gets, but it's still a hoop, a step to jump through. Here, it's the same data. We don't have to do some import the data step thing. Now, I want to be really clear, though. We're never going to stop supporting importing data from other systems because our goal is not to rule the engineering world. Our role is to help our customers make more money. And if they're using microvellum, if they're using IX, if they're using Cabinet Vision Mosaic, whatever, uh, some spreadsheet they made, we're going to bring that data in because that's how we help that customer. We're never going to like try to cut off anything. I get that as a lot as people's worry. And that's no part of what we want to do. So one version, which it sounds like is kind of where it, uh, the 30 beta or 30, I say beta testers, but the 30 users right now early are adopters. using it, early adopters, right? Um, their workflow today is probably like they're using design for the shop drawing stage, for example, and then they're going to their engineering process of or software of choice for the production output still. Is that right? Uh, we're not even to the point where they're doing day-to-day engineering yet. So in about maybe three, four months, we'll mm-hmm. be at what we will call a minimum viable product for okay. drafting and submittals. Yes. That means... It's got everything that it has to have. You could do some drawings. You might have to really want to because there's nice features that are missing, but Mm -hmm. it does work. And then 
Our plan is by IWF, we'll have our own nesting and machine code and we will have iterated on that minimum viable product to give all the nice to have stuff. And that's the point where they're probably gonna make the full switch, right? right. But in that meantime, we're gonna supply, uh, I'll call it a shim, just a way that they can use what they've drawn in design mm -hmm. in other engineering software. So we'll be able to push out parts data into other nesting and machine code generating solutions in the interim. Um, our, our nesting and machine code solution is going to likewise be very different from the current state of the art in the industry. It's gonna be fast. It's gonna have a lot of things that are designed around pushing throughput and getting through things quicker. Um, nothing that we're willing to really get into the details on, but we're gonna use AI in a way nobody's ever used. We got some cool tricks up our sleeves for that. So, but one like long-term viable workflow for users could be, and probably will be, they use energy design for their shop drawing submittals. And, and those users today before energy design probably use AutoCAD only for that, right? And so okay. you know, imagine some users might just replace AutoCAD shop drawings with energy shop drawings and then still do their production engineering the same way they do it today. Yeah. That, that's one use case, right? Yeah, and they would be losing some obvious advantages, but- But that's, uh, that's in theory where those early adopters will be in the, the, over the next six months, right? Yes. Okay. 100%. Um, and, uh, and... Well, but, but they're not re-entering for production. Well, there'll be a button they can click that, for example, your microvellum guy will create a, a microvellum workwear. Right. So the part of the product's already in it. They just won't have a model in microvellum. Okay. Right. And that's um, just a temporary thing for us. But... but for some people to imagine, if today your workflow is, hey, I do shop drawings, my drafting team, AutoCAD, whatever, then time goes to release to production because this is still, I would say, the majority of companies today are doing yes. this way. They're doing shop drawings is its own thing. And then, okay, now it's time to production. Give it to the engineer. He puts products yeah. in, whatever, right? Yep. Um, and, and if you're that company, like to imagine how this could work, right, is, okay, I'm just basically replacing that step with something that is more intelligent but gives me a comparable result of shop drawings, right? Yes. Um, additionally, you could just Another export at that point from energy design PDFs as well as DWGs. Yes. Okay. So I could just export dumb DWG drawings as an output, mm -hmm. dumb PDF drawings as an output. Really, they're probably smarter than most PDF drawings, I would imagine, knowing energy. You're going to have yeah. some hyperlinking and things like that, intelligent data. We do have plans to have an automatic hyperlink. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. But in addition to that, the data that exists, if you're using energy design for your shop drawings, I imagine if you're putting in parts and products, I, I imagine there are some dumb CAD tools in there. I can draw a line, there are. right? Mm -hmm. But ideally you're putting in a cabinet with uh, a bomb tied to it, right? Or a die wall or paneling or a kitchen island or a hood. Yep. Right. 100%. Okay. So um, then that today you have the ability or to some extent, and, and I'm sure you're refining this, what you're describing is being able to export that data into Microvome and IX or whatever, right? Is that, hey, there is there are tools in each of those software to import product data with bomb data, right? Um, um, is that something uh, that, for example, for Microvome, do I need to have, if I have a one-door base, is it just going to match that up with the one-door base in my library or am I bringing in the whole uh 
bomb of that product that I put in energy and it ignores whatever's in microvolt. Does that make sense? Right. So uh, what we're going to do, what we're going to provide is a one click that will create a work order in your microvellum database that has all these parts and products. There will be no model. There'll be yep. no, no 3D to go look at. Yep. Um, there will be no spreadsheet anywhere that has these products in it, right? But you'll be able to use microvellum's nesting and machine code generating. A little later on, we're actually, when we have our nesting and machine code generating, we're going to allow you to import parts from engineer other engineering software right. and use right. our nesting and machine code on them. Okay. So I think some of our customers will certainly have things they've already drawn in Cabinet Vision and they don't want to redraw. Right. But they like our nesting and machine code because it's going to be awesome. And so we're going to give them a way to use that and get some of the advantages of all of this, right? Yep. Um, does that, does that yes. answer your question? Yeah. So, uh, you know, for, and I'm, I'm thinking as a microvolume user, but also this applies to some other. So basically, you're going straight past, straight to the work order data. So essentially, you're basically yeah. taking, uh, the bomb, the cut list of parts with identifiers to group them by product to whatever they go to. Yes. The same data guys, that yeah. Microvellum or IX is producing. Um, yes. You're bypassing all the intelligent part of those engineering software and going straight to their CAM yeah. data, right? Yeah. And then from there, well, you, you wanna, can... If you want to re-enter it yourself because that's your workflow, I'm, I can't stop you from doing no, that. No, 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 yeah. But um, what just... I can do is I can make it real hard for you to make that choice. Right. Because later on, when I have my own nesting and machine code, and it's amazing, um, you know this problem. You can't, you have trouble going into production with things people are currently drafting on. Mm -hmm. We're multiplayer. Like you could go in, grab the die wall from a room that's got a bunch of cabinets in it that I'm messing with. Right. And we're both in the same data space. We're both looking at each other. Yeah. And this is, we're dipping into an area of, all of this that frankly there's not a lot of people that totally understand and i think that's what i'm nerdery. trying to do. we're getting into the nerdery my friend we are and i part of this is i want people though there are some people that are listening you know uh i want to do justice and and not give you a bunch of softballs of questions but also no, no. i want to I'm, I'm curious and interested in this myself you know and i think that for people to understand how this makes sense they have to understand a little bit of what's actually happening because sure. Microvellum, IX, Cabinet Vision, Energy, all of these software and engineering is still this very like misunderstood, confusing void that I think a lot of people think is more intelligent than it really is when they don't understand it. And so that's also what I'm trying to you know, get at. I mean, similarly, when you talk about, about AI, a lot of people think, oh, you're creating AI, you're going to make it just do all this intelligently. And all it is, is just a tool that basically just learns from data and predicts you know based on data right no, um, it's a co-pilot not a pilot right it's a co-pilot not an autopilot it's something that's going to help the users be more efficient but it's not going to replace them right and it's not going to it, it's going to make their job a little easier is all yeah and i think referencing clippy is a great example that people don't realize like we've had tools that are ai in the past that are all they're doing is basically just kind of predicting things based on prior data um, and, and giving you information, but, um, okay. So now, um, and, and you started talking this going into the cam side there, energy design, and you guys are planning to make this a full fledged cam CAD solution, right? So the idea right. is that you will, you know, if everybody takes full advantage of everything is that 
eventually you can buy energy and one-stop shop everything you need to um, output to your whatever machines mm-hmm. in theory, right? Yes. Um, and so there are going to be cases, I assume, just like there are today where there are still things that maybe like, hey, you do a lot of sign engraving. That's not what you're trying to create a solution for, right? Um, just like cabin division or microphone can kind of do that, but that's not what they're built for. Um, there's still going to be use cases where, you know, this is not replacing, uh, alpha cam or SolidWorks or any of those, but for the majority of mill workers, um, this should be able to serve almost everything that most of them need, right? From a shop drawing, from a production engineering standpoint, um, and solve a lot of the current pain points that they have. Oh yeah, and and just getting data into the organization, right? So we're all just information technology companies that make a little sawdust. People don't realize that, and if they don't realize that, then they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage going forward. Uh, data is is the different. It's the differentiator. You remember back in the '90s when CNC was the differentiator, and it's pretty hard to run a shop unless you have some very specific profitable niche without automation and CNC. Same was going to be true for data. So you can imagine somebody on the shop floor is going to scan a part and they can pop right into and see that part highlighted in the product that it's in. There are things that can do that now, but also in context of everything else with all the data related to it right there, they can say, I need another one of these. They can even nest it right then and there if they have permission. If When they go into design, it can be read only, or if you want to let your shop just have at your engineering, then you do you. We won't stop you, but you'd have to pay for that. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, read only access is free to everybody in energy. So we're really tying together a lot of stuff in an attempt to solve the engineering takes too long problem. But in the context of these companies got to make money and we need to help you make money. And that means we need to help you make your engineers better. We need to help you make new engineers. We need to help you get throughput, right? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast, which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com, or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. So do you see this? Um, I see the pushback being on this stronger from existing engineers than other roles, other business owners and stuff, right? Like I'm pretty sure almost every business owner is going to be picking up what you're putting down in this, right? Like, hey, look, make engineering faster. Awesome. All in one solution. Awesome. Hey, I can just pay one bill to one software provider. Awesome. All my data's there. Awesome, right? Um, like you're checking a lot of boxes, but there are almost every engineer is listening skeptically. Right. And they're thinking of all of the thing, reasons why this won't work, why it can't work or why they don't want to do this. Right. I mean, does that like, from my perspective, I think it's mostly going to be the existing engineers and oh, I think that's 100%. everything with software, but, um, 
would you say that this is going to be something, you know, because I think that is just a problem for our industry as a, as a whole. And I had a, uh, um, yesterday I talked to Joseph Baggett and he shared a lot of really stuff. So if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to the previous podcast episode, go listen to that because he shares a lot of really interesting stats and data about the structure of the industry, you know, how, how much it's, anyways, there's a lot of good data points about the average age of people in our industry. And it's at least 10 years older than the net average of, of our mm -hmm. country. Um, but from my perspective, that is one of the biggest problems, like even that, I, that we're solving is we're providing people and a younger talent uh, solution because the industry is not making it. And you touched on this. You're, the way you're going to be successful is if you can make an engineer, not just hire an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. Do you see this being a, a core part of, and, and I'm going to be, you know, maybe you don't want to answer this way, but I see this as being something that's going to heavily require younger, newer people to, it's going to kind of correspond with a changing of the guard, so to speak. So I'll answer it like this. It depends on the owner. All right. So people don't change until the change of staying the same is, mm -hmm. you know, I said that earlier. Um, you can't have change happen just by throwing it at an organization and running the other way. You have to manage it. Right. So at Energy, we teach the Cotter change model. That's an eight-step change model. The first step is the one that I've always found the most important, which is a sense of urgency. No one will change when they're fat and happy, period. Hmm. So sometimes companies have a natural sense of urgency. We are running out of money. That's a pretty good one. That one's easy. Um, sometimes they're not so obvious. In fact, sometimes you have to manufacture one. So if you're an owner or a manager and you have some of these employees who, you know, they don't feel the need to change, you have to give them a reason why. The worst reason is do it or I'm going to fire you. Right. That one doesn't work very well. It, it does create a sense of urgency. It really does. But it can trash the culture of a company. All right. So that's the, the worst way to do it. Other than, I guess, the worst way would be not doing it at all. Uh, so an example of what you might do is say, I don't care what software you use. You know, we're an energy customer. We have access to this other thing, but I don't care. It's not my job to figure out what software we use, but I require these outcomes. And you could put whatever it is, something that, that will align with your business. So you might say, I require, you know, that we can put 10 drafters on the same project at the same time. I don't care how you come up with that. But that is a business requirement. Achieve it however you want. And then what happens is they run off and they try it and they come back and they say, oh, there's really only one way we can do it. We should just use this other software. And you go, oh, man, I'm so glad you work here. I, you know, I never would have thought of that. So my, my personal example of this is actually construction-based. Um, you kind of brought it up. So I, I went into a shop and I brought a new way of building diamonds. Their way was... The engineering cut a top stud, a I'm sorry, a top plate, a bottom plate, and a programmed a sheet of studs. And the craftsman just ran that program as many times as he felt like he needed stuff. And he or she would then measure and position their own studs, which not from the drawings, just from their own construction knowledge, and do everything from hand, right? And so I brought a method where we had dado construction, and you know, I would call it a nailer, it would be like a vertical yeah. board that you can back screw a panel on. You know, we, we let those into the studs with actual dado joints there too. And the nice thing is when you build it that way, there's literally no way that you can build it out of square. You don't need to get a laser out. You don't need to check for square. It is square if it goes together. Just 
by definition. So they're going to hate it because, again, their old way of doing it came from God on a phone tablet down to the production manager. And so what I did is I left those little dados off. And I did it on purpose. I even told some people in the office, hey, I'm doing this on purpose just so I don't look like I claimed later on to have done it for some great reason. And the guy puts it together and he hates everything about it. Top to bottom, it's the worst thing he's ever had to do. And then he says, you know what you should do though is you should put these, let these into this and then it would be a lot easier. And I go, oh my God, I'm so glad you were the first one to work on this because I never would have thought of that in a million years. And you know what? Now he owns that thing. It is his and it is great and he will defend it to the death to everybody else. So sometimes you have to engineer that to get those people on board. But there are going to be some people. There are some people who just think in 2D. I mean, I've had some, some engineers who worked for me who could build a custom desk, a, you know, a curved canted die wall or a, or a uh, you know, a, a, a hood or something that's crazy just from 2D. And they could do it faster than anybody I've ever met, including me. And there's a place for those people. I'm not out to get rid of those people. Those people are expensive. Those people are making like more, you know, digits in their salary than some of the other engineers. And uh, if I could hire nothing but them, I would do okay. But can you find that many A plus expensive engineers? You can't. It's impossible. So it's not really a value judgment on what's the right way to do it. It's more of a great. I mean, if I could find nine more Jeremy's, then we'd be set, but I can't, I can only find the one, right? right. So I need a method of the, that takes some of that knowledge out of Jeremy's head and puts it into the system. And that's what we aim to do. And yes, there are some people who will never come along for that ride. And those people will probably have, you know, great millwork careers. They'll be valuable in whatever shops they are while everyone around them adopts the new tools and gets to be, nearly as good as they are with much less uh effort that makes sense yeah yeah um uh, i could go a bunch of (laughs) down a bunch of other rabbit trails but yeah i know um uh, we're dangerous together my friend (laughs) (laughs) um i do want so i always try to end with with two specific questions that i ask everybody and i'm really curious because i think this all made it uh, go a lot of directions as well. Um, but the first is, what do you see changing in the millwork industry over the next five to 10 years? Um, uh, aside from energy implementing design and everybody adopting it as the greatest solution ever, right? Um, yeah. But on a, a kind of on a macro scale, what, uh, what, do you, what do you see that maybe other people aren't predicting? Well, this one's not gonna surprise you. It's the world as a whole. It's gonna be more and more digital. We're all IT companies. We just don't know it. We make sawdust. But data is really what we traded. Um, I think you'll start to see more application of one-piece flow, lean concepts into the office. It's pretty well accepted on the shop floors now. But, um, you know, at Energy, we teach one-piece flow for the office. That's literally what we do. Mm-hmm. And getting more throughput that way. Uh, I like This is a thing I say. So I'm just going to say my saying which is that uh, you know today more than ever, how engineering work is performed is gonna dictate the success and maybe even the survival of an organization. And that means that we're gonna to have to adopt engineering practices that look very different from what worked before. So I think you're gonna see a thinning out, right? Mm-hmm. We like to look at the AWI cost of doing business survey and we, we plot out the 
average profitability over the last 35 years, something like that. And there are two lines. There is a top quartile companies and there is a everybody else line. And that line is getting steeper and steeper up top and shallower and shallower up bottom. So the gap between the top companies and everyone else is getting bigger and bigger. And that mostly, I think, is a result of, you know, the adoption of technology. Yes. But in large part, the structure, you know, structuring a company that can take advantage of that. And so I think over time, that's going to get bigger and bigger until we reach a point where those companies that aren't adopting tech and aren't adopting the new best practices and lean, they're going to exit the market because they're not making any money. Right. right? Yeah, that's uh, one of the stats that Joseph was sharing with me yesterday was about the overall cost of labor as well as the uh, productivity are, are separating as well over time with the data that he's been collecting. So basically, I know some people watch you on, um, some people watch you on YouTube. So I'm just going to hit share on a slide that shows us. And if you're not watching on YouTube, maybe you want to check it out or <laughs> you can shoot Jacob or me an email and we can get you this slide if you'd like. But do you see the, the, the slope of those two lines? Yeah, so you've got uh, what you've plotted here is the high profit, as you described, up at the top. Um, top uh, and then the average of everybody. Um, yeah. and, and a best fit line. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, so the top companies are getting yeah. more and more profitable at a much steeper rise than um, the average of everybody doing? else, which is just above level it's going up but very very slow <laughs> oh my gosh all right you got another question for me i think uh yes so on the flip side of all that um what over the next five to ten years do you see uh, staying the same yeah it's a great question it's a hard question actually um, harder than I thought it would be, but you know what? I have watched your previous, uh, shows. And so I knew these were coming. Right? <laughs> so I think what's going to stay the same is a thing that people don't actually always understand, which is that what we make our money on is delivering or installing. If that's your business model products, mm -hmm. that's what we make our money on. Everything else are just things we have to do. So I'm an engineering nerd and I say this in presentations all the time. I love engineering. But if we could run our companies without it, we totally would, right? It's just a thing we do to make money. And so I think the things that say is the same is that that will continue to be, uh, that will continue to be true and it will continue to be missed by a large portion of our employee base. Yep. So a lot of the status quo, though, the gap between what our real, what companies or our industry's real value add is versus what the perceived value add is that we do. That's right. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, uh, I really appreciate you. I'm going to get two episodes out of this. So if you're still listening, this is the end of part two of Jonah Coleman. Um, I'll probably break it up into, um, uh, into two episodes here, but, um, I'm always grateful when we get to hang out and get to talk. I know we'll get, we'll get many more chances together, but for anybody who um, is interested in finding out more about Jonah 
finding more more about energy energy design uh what's the best way that they can do that so you can email me i'm at jonah.coleman at energy.com and of course energy has a website which you can go to and find out all kinds of stuff about us but uh love the emails uh also just for anybody who's listening that closing he just did the closing to part one he didn't record until later because <laughs> he didn't do it while we were talking no, no. um and, and i'll probably sound different too hopefully um <laughs> <laughs> no no i think this was awesome i you know i tried to ask uh a lot of questions because i know everybody's curious about energy design and hopefully they got a little bit of a different spin on things here a little bit less uh, prepared and filtered um, set of information, but really valuable. Um, always love talking engineering and, and department uh, structure and, and the industry as well. So um, hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. And um, yeah, appreciate Great. it. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Jonah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Do you want to stay up to date about industry insights, new content, and our community of mill workers? Go to DuckWorksMW.com to sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you in the next episode of Verify in Field.